Well, hey, hey, welcome to Exponential. Uh, my name is Daniel Yang. I'm the director of the Sen Institute. And man, I'm really, really excited today uh, to be on the Exponential platform to talk about an up and coming release of Peyton Jones's newest book. Not just a book, though, a textbook on uh, church planting called Church Plantology. We're going to spend a couple of weeks really going through just some of the big ideas that Peyton wrote about. And specifically today, we're going to jump into like the idea of scripture um, you know what is the biblical precedent for why we should plant churches how we should plant churches how did it happen in scripture and then how do we take that move forward to our current day and age and really take those not just principles but those mandates in scripture seriously in our time so hey uh Peyton man I'm, I'm so excited for you brother uh we've been talking Thank about you. this book we've been saying hey let's devote like you know you and I we do front lines every other Wednesday and we've been talking about just really focusing sometimes I'm glad we get to do this uh together so man I, I know that the release is coming up I think April 20th so a couple more weeks um, but it's just so much energy around this book. It's so needed. I, I taught a church planning uh, doctoral class a couple of weeks ago. I really wow. wish that we had your book to be able to utilize. So, hey, man, give us the premise for church plantology. <coughs> what is it? And uh, give us some of the frameworks that you begin uh, addressing in the in the textbook. You got it, man. And thanks for uh, thanks for interviewing. You know, I always uh, you know you watch those old westerns or like gangster movies. And as the guy's dying, he turns to the other guy and goes, I'm glad it was you, man. So I am I am really excited. This is my first interview for the book. I'm super excited that it gets to be us doing this. Uh, my secret dream, and we were telling Brooks, Brooks is the, uh, the guy moving all the gears and levers at Exponential behind the scenes. He's awesome. So I always like to give him a shout out. But Brooks, uh, he's, he's probably smarter than you and I put together, Daniel. But one totally, of my dreams... Totally. Oh my gosh. And, and, but one of my dreams is to write a book with you and, uh, uh, Brad Briscoe. So that may or may not happen. So I'm going to hurry up and try to get my PhD so we can do that, make this dream come true. It's on my bucket list, write book with Daniel Yang and Brad Briscoe. So, yeah, well, if we do it though, it can't be like a super serious book. It's got to be like, you know, maybe a fiction or something like that, you know? Yeah, that's true. You know, Brad has that kind of punk rock side to him. That, that he does. Very, oh, we we worked with him. We know. Yeah. But yeah. anyways, uh, this is uh, Church Plantology. That's the cover. You can see it's got the little exp exponential up there. So represent. But the whole premise of the book, um, the, the title is a little tongue in cheek. Um, plantology, right? What, what is plantology? Uh, it's a made up word. I invented it because... A lot of what we hear in church planning is unhelpful, right? It's really church starting. Um, it's get a sexy logo, rent, rent a space, make sure you get enough cheesed off Christians from other places, and then throw your logo up on a wall on a website and hope that people come. And we call that church planning. And of course, the Apostle Paul knew absolutely nothing about that. Right. That that wasn't I mean, so many of the things that we do, it's like you expect the apostles to go, oh, oh, wow. Why, why didn't we think of that? Well, because they had a totally different mandate, something that they were trying to accomplish. was very different. I don't think the apostles and hear me when I say this, I don't think the apostles gave a big rip about planting churches. I think church planting is something that happened on the backside of what they were actually doing. 
And so the difference between starting a church is that you have the church in mind. Church planting is when you have the gospel in mind and you're sowing the seeds of the gospel. Those gospel seeds go down into the soil and then they bear fruit. And the fruit is believers who become disciples, called to make disciples. When you do that, I can't remember who said it. Um, might have been Stetzer, might have been Christofferson, but uh, it was if you could have could have been Ralph Moore. Um, we do so many of these interviews, right? You, you hear so much good stuff. But uh, hey, hey, to use the bald thing, I'm, I'm, I'm not just the president, I'm also a client. Um, you hear these great things from these leaders. And one of the things somebody said is you can plan a church and disciple making won't necessarily happen. But if you make disciples, church planning will automatically happen. <clears throat> so up near your area, I'm working with uh, BLI, which is Bible League International, I'm just doing a little bit of stuff with them. And that's what they found. They make discipleship tools for people all over the world, different countries. And they're like, we just had to start developing church planning stuff because when people get a hold of this stuff, it leads to the planning of churches. And so plantology, um, the way that I define it in the book, and I'll, I'll, I'll find my cool little picture in here. Um, the way that it's defined is actually the overlap between, and I'll, I'll pop it up here because I should have a cool little graphic. Um, it's the overlap of scripture, best global missionary practices, and church history. So, so what, what Luke doesn't give you in the book of Acts, when you watch the kingdom of God expanding in that narrative, what he doesn't give you is a methodology. Here's how you plan a church. So everybody struggles to figure that out, I think. But what he does give you is he gives you these principles, these things that, that the apostles did. Um, and I don't think he's like, hey, I wrote this book of Acts in order to show you how to plan a church. That's not what it was written for. It was to show you how the how the West or the East or the Middle East was one. It was meant to show you the expansion of the kingdom of God, right? Where Jesus goes, you'll be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And you can watch that uh, spread of the kingdom of God happen. But as I look at scripture, I, I go, oh, that's what they did. And so when I was a missionary overseas in Europe for 12 years, um, planning churches and Starbucks, public space became my jam. Like that was my favorite thing was, you know, temple courts. You know, we all know house to house, but temple courts is like, hey, I'm going to plant in a public space, right? We're going to invade their space. And we started kind of, re you know, reverse engineering stuff, like going back, reading Acts. Hey, that's what they were doing. Hey, Jesus was, he was outside, right? So when I planted in urban Long Beach, I planted outside and we'd have 20, 30 people standing around who would be hearing the gospel. Uh, one of the guys that's on leadership now was like, I'm, I'm going to beat this guy up because I think he's one of those guys stealing money from poor people. You know, he heard me preach in the open air. He wasn't saved. Um, he stayed around to kick the crap out of me and ended up hearing the gospel and, and getting saved. So, you know, <clears throat> the um, bottom line is, I think there are things in scripture that we've missed. But then uh, if you look at, you know, global missionary practices, there are people in countries right now, Bangladesh, India, um, Southeast Asia, that I want to learn from. I, I don't feel that, you know, it's kind of like that manifest destiny, that white man's burden, like always in the West, we think we got the expertise cornered, like, 
You know, we, we got the market cornered. Hey, we'll teach you rest of the world how to plant churches. We don't even know, Daniel. I mean, I know, I know with your studies at Sin Institute, you know this very well. We are in a position where we need to shut up and listen to other people and say, hey, teach us what you're learning in your culture. And so the other circle, uh, there's scripture, there's best missionary practices, and surprise, surprise, those things overlap quite a bit. But then the third circle is church history. So church history is if these things were in scripture and if they are part of best missionary practices globally today, then obviously when movements pop up in church history, we would expect to see these same things at work. So what I what I've done in the book, the backbone of the book are these are the 10 church plantology principles where these three circles overlap. And if we can harness these things, why are there 10? Because that just makes it good. No, I'm teasing. No, there. I, I mean, there are more things, but uh, here's a little secret about this book. I, I wrote uh, 800 pages um, and Zondervan came back and said, no, we can only publish about 500. So I've got a second textbook. So I, I got your and Brad's name kind of etched out on there, like, you know, just right there. You know, to, to jump in. And, I mean, and make that's it good. the second book. Uh, Brad and I will just read it over and then. Textbook the, two, it's the almost all the way written. <laughs> so, uh, but but that's it. You know, that that's what church plantology is. And and so it's it's put in the, in the context of rediscovering these principles yeah. today. Yeah, man. So, Peyton, that's so good. And I'm so glad that that's the approach that you, you've taken. Um, you know, you and I have been in church planting long enough uh, to know the different trends, the different models, all of which God has used, right? I mean, and I don't think what you're saying is that the way that we've, we're planting churches right now um, needs to, you know, just be completely done away with. But there is a rediscovery, you know, there is a coming Amen. back to, and then there's also probably um, a, a process of just, you know, acknowledging that, hey, uh, if we don't stop doing certain things we'll never we won't have the time and the energy to go back to do the things that we do know that scripture has taught us so let me let me ask a couple of questions around that because today we're going to get around the whole idea of really what does the bible really have to say like what is what is the premise that in um, uh, the foundation for why we plant churches and we're really going to jump into that and you mentioned the book of acts and there's a lot in there that i want to unpack with you but as we're thinking about this idea, Peyton, because I, I, what you're doing is I think you're rattling the cage. You're, 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 trying to, you're trying to help us understand that if we don't get back to the basics, then actually what we're doing right now is going to have diminishing returns, right? I mean, if you don't get back to what the Bible is really um, not prescribing, but describing to us as a gospel movement of planting the gospel, making disciples, and then allowing the church to emerge, if we put the cart before the horse, then eventually this thing's not moving anymore, right? So help us to think through, uh, based on what you wrote, and then also just the way that you understand the New Testament narratives. I mean, you know, we can, we can, we can use the church in Philippi, for example. When you think about the church in Philippi and how Paul started that church, and you can argue that it was Lydia that helped him to start that church, like what is it about that that we need to really think about for our time? 
Um, and, you know, the conditions are different because we're in North America, which I think, you know, a vast majority, 54% of people still identify as some kind of Christian. Now, I mean, we are, for the first time, according to Gallup, less than 50% of people attend church. I mean, that's an interesting stat that just came out a couple of weeks ago. But it's a different time than Macedonia in uh, um, Philippi. But think about, like, just even that story. Like, what are some things about that that you want to draw out for church planters today to really pay attention to? What I love about um, Philippi, and I mean, man, I mean, there are so many. I, I go over Paul's learning curve in the very beginning because what you what you notice with Paul, like when I train planters, is uh, on his first missionary journey, there are six things that he does um, in Acts 13 and 14. They're the same six things, but they're in different order. And so when I'm first training planters on the very first day to teach them the difference between church starting and church planting, I have them identify. First, I'll say, what is church planting? And they'll put all this stuff up there. And it's nothing that they're about to dip into because I'm, I'm tricking them. You always trick your students, right? So you put the Daniel 13 in there. I mean, uh, not Daniel. It's because I'm looking at you. Um, the the Acts 13, and and they identify, okay. And then they see it, the little shake and bake, different order in Acts 14. But then you're like, well, hold on. You know, you got to be careful there because Paul's, Paul's right when you think you've nailed them down. He's got a second missionary journey. He's going to be doing it a little bit different, right? Because... At the end of that first missionary journey, you know, those places, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, those are the infamous Galatians, right? These are the Galatian cities. So when he's there ministering to them, um, he comes home, he's sipping his coffee one morning, he spits it out and he reads the newspaper because he's like, ah, oh, they're already in heresy. So he goes, hey, let's go back. And he says, let's strengthen the churches. It doesn't mean what we think it means, right? It, 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 that's not a good thing. We, it, when you read it in the light of what was happening with the Galatians, you realize, oh, that was, hey, we we better go fix these churches. They're really broken. And, you know, like he writes in Galatians, I have my doubts concerning you. The problem is that Paul didn't really leave people behind in the second missionary journey starts on so there's a whole section that i think is encouraging to us as planners paul was on a learning curve just like you and i are and i i really kind of detail it out well in in philippi um paul learns to enter their rhythms and of course we see that there's a rhythmic presence. That's one of those six things back in Acts 13 and 14. There's a rhythmic presence. Paul begins to enter the rhythms of his community. And you see that with Lydia and them. These are some ladies praying down by the riverside. And he goes down there. He enters into their space and a church is born. That's, um, that's part of like, you know, like when I started a church in a Starbucks, it was accidental. I threw a reading group. Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code. I think the year was 2005. It was on the bestseller list. I was a barista working on my MA theology, getting ready to come back home. Uh, Biden time. The world needed, needed coffee as much as it needed God. And uh, so there I am making coffee for the masses. And everybody kept coming through here in my accent. And finally, I thought, you know, I'm just going to throw... Uh, I wasn't in ministry anymore. You know, I was getting ready to come home as a missionary. And uh, through a reading group and 30 Europeans turned up to talk about Jesus. And at the end of the night, they were like, this was so good. And we had a New Testament scholar there that just kind of played it cool all night. In the last five minutes, he said, you know, I actually teach at the seminary down the road. And bam, 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 bam. 
within minutes, I mean, literally less than five minutes, had, had just gutted Dan Brown and his argument. And everybody just looked around like, that was cool. I mean, he did it very well. And they were like, this was amazing. Can we do this again? And I was like, no, not really. But that became a reading group, which became a church. And <clears throat> I had been there seven years and never seen because week two, 40 people turn up, talk about Jesus. Week three, 50 people turned up to talk about like this was a phenomenon. I was a spectator because I told God, hey, I think I'm done working for you. Uh, your people kind of suck and uh, they're mean. And I think I'm out of ministry because in the previous church I'd been in, uh, we had really been doing innovative things with public space ministry, seeing people come to faith, but it started cheesing the church off. So I had kind of made this vow, never crawl over believers to get to non-believers ever again. Like I'm done with that. Well, church planning was the answer for me. I just didn't know it. So when that happened accidentally, uh, it was that. But back to Philippi, it, it really was about entering other people's space, entering other people's rhythm. And I, not to shamelessly plug another book, Daniel, but I have another book called um, Reaching the Unreached, Becoming Raiders of the Lost Art. And that's about really infiltrating public space and um, learning to do uh, the stuff that they did in the New Testament. So this is this is the beefed up version of a textbook, but that's more like mobilizing everyday believers. Yeah, um, re really good, uh, Peyton. I, I want to come back to that. We, we got some questions that are coming in and definitely feel free to uh, drop more questions in there. We're going to get to as many of them as possible. But the whole idea of seeing the public space, uh, the public square as really the entry point you know i think that's that's a you know that's a paradigm shift from where uh, i think a lot of modern day church planting is to create a space and then invite people into it and i still think you know in some ways that that uh that can reach a certain kind of people but what you're talking about yeah. is to enter into public spaces uh yeah. and to proclaim the gospel and to and to to really be a presence there i think for some people, that's going to be a paradigm shift, um, but I think you know it, it is what you see what what Paul did, um, and sometimes it was open air. Sometimes he was in the hall of Tyrannus and he was mm. you know given a lecture. Right, uh, so he's down by the river when he meets uh, Lydia, and then that time other, you know, he's in the Areopagus. You know, uh, so I think you there's a lot of precedent there for that. Um, I want to talk about the actual activity of like church planting because we have a question that came in in regards to best practices and uh you know you and i we serve a lot of pastors we serve a lot of networks i mean our day-to-day -day job is to 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 help encourage uh those who lead in church planting and a lot of times we will talk about best practices as uh in terms of what's working what is leading to quote unquote success um can you talk about you know e even from scripture you see so much of it was the apostle paul pivoting responding to the holy spirit yeah moving when the holy spirit tells him to move i mean i, I think uh there's acts chapter 16 where the macedonian call comes in it actually says that paul is i think the word is logizomai like he's actually you know concluding what the holy spirit is saying to him can you talk about that dynamic of how important it is to hear and obey the Holy Spirit and then also recognize that there are some methodologies that are being used that can be effective as well? 
Yeah, I th- and I love this question because I'm I'm a Holy Spirit guy. I'm a I'm a big believer in um, God will let you screw up enough until you start listening. And I think I think church planning, I think ministry in general, is the slow defeat. You know, it's the it's the long process of of painful surrender. And uh, I mentioned I had been overseas for seven years until that point. And I would say a lot of that was. Um, God saying, are you ready? Are you ready to do real ministry by the power of my Holy Spirit? You know, Moody, uh, you know, up in Chicagoland, he was, uh, he, he had that, that statement about the Holy Spirit where he says, you know, I was like a man. And this is actually in the book. I put it in there because I've got a whole chapter about the spiritual dynamics of church planning, which hello, you know, we're kind of <laughs> Acts chapter one. Anyone, you know, Acts chapter two wouldn't happen without Acts chapter one. They were seeking God. They were praying for 10 days before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's a big part. And if Luke bends over backwards to let us know anything, it's, hey, stupid, you can't do this without me. Right. Like you, you can't do this without the Holy Spirit. Um, so notice that the book is plantology. It's the the. Uh, science and art. The science are, these are the principles. And when you ask the question, and I love this question, how do you look at the best practices? What you're going to find is the best practices of global missionaries are New Testament, first century practices. So that's one of the things that keeps us honest. But then the third part is the movements in church history are movements of the Holy Spirit. Movements of the Holy Spirit, bursting old wineskins, pouring new wine, creating new wineskins. Um, and, and that's what I love. I love watching the unexpected happen in church history where there's a return to first century principles. No generation, including ours, has it right. This textbook doesn't have it completely right. In fact, um, I don't speak Latin. But my favorite Latin word, I, I, in the introduction, I apologize to, to you, the reader, because I say, look, I apologize. I don't know everything on my journey of what there is to know about church planning. I am still learning. And I, and I mentioned, um, I think it was Michelangelo when he was like 83 years old, uh, did a, a, a portrait that he, he wrote, Ankara, Ankaro Empora. And, uh, it means still learning. And so I, I, I sign the intro, introduction to the book that way, like, hey, still learning Peyton Jones. So this is not meant to be, like I said, the science is the plantology part of scripture, best missionary practices, which are, are very scriptural, which is why, you know, if, if, it's, if it's something that is a plantology principle, the tagline is, it's, it's you can go to anyone anywhere at any time in church history with these principles. But the art, the reason it says the science and art is the art is you and the Holy Spirit. It's what you and the Holy Spirit do with that because it's going to look different every time. There's no methodology in this book. That's the beauty of principles as opposed to methodology. Methodology tells you, here's how to plan a church in five easy dance steps. I don't have time for that because every time I plan it, whether it's in urban Long Beach, uh, whether it's in a beach community, whether it's in, uh, you know, uh, South Wales, whether it's, you know, you name it, any place I've been, whether it's a, a town and gown uh, or an industrial still working town, like these are the places I've ministered and planted in. Here's the deal. Every time, 
I've started over with from ground zero with the Holy Spirit, which is where my first book, Church Zero, got its name from, was you start all over. All Everything goes back to zero. Your paradigm shifts. Everyone goes back to zero. And uh, so so it's a great question. Um, but yes, I, uh, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And if that's the one lesson that planners learn, they're 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 doing pretty good from day one. Unfortunately, as all of you know, uh, it takes a long time to convince us of that. Yeah, it's so important too, as the uh, planter or planting team, to realize that obedience to the Holy Spirit is really your measure of success. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think that we live in a very um, entrepreneurial society, uh, the American work ethic, the Protestant work ethic, um, where I think we dictate success based on, um, you know, how big something is or how long it lasts or, um, you know, the idea of pop-up church might not even, you know, be considered uh, a thing because we think of in terms of big, you know, uh, in, in, in longevity and sustainability. But I think about like, what does it mean to be successful? Um, and those metrics are going to be, by and large, based on what the Holy Spirit's given to you um, as an assignment, you know? And I think that uh, we, we see that, you know, Paul went to Athens and he fulfilled his assignment. There wasn't even, from what we could tell, at least during that time that he was there, he didn't plant a church in Athens, but he sowed the gospel seed. Some, some became believers. A lot of people didn't but he moved on his way. And that was a part of Paul's methodology. And a part of that, Peyton, was also he developed a missionary team, a missionary band, you know, Barnabas and John Mark at one point and Sylvanus and Timothy. So um, an, a question that came in is in the idea of when you're developing your team, um, what are some of the best practices or what are some of the things that you would recommend to disciple your team to be, and I love this phrase, scripture fed, and then also Holy Spirit led. So let's take the dynamic we just talked about. How do you lead your team in that? Yeah, it's really good. Um, that's, you know, it's funny. I've been training planners for a number of years, probably way before I should have been. Um, but, you know, the, the one of the, the most gaping holes in uh, church planner um, conversation was uh, the core team. And you, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it, you know, um, <laughs> the band of married men and women. I mean, you know, but, but I know like sometimes people push back, like there's a lot of debate around the term core team or launch team and all that. And all, all I know is that Jesus trained, 12 people for three years before he turned them loose. And so the training and pouring into a group that you're going to equip and empower is kind of a big deal. And so what, what I, what I did a few years ago was I developed something called jump school core team training. Now, um, you can find that over at ministry ninja.com forward slash jump school. And it's, it's a six month. It's how I train my teams. And, one of the things that we do every single week um, in that it's it's like a two hour uh, evening. You're going to meet with your team once a once a week. 
but we eat a meal together because there's just something unconscious that happens. It's like when you date your wife, right? You take her to, you know, you take her out to eat. When you're getting to know her, that's what you did. When a core team eats together, there's something really, really wise in the scripture, but um, something we've ignored, like the church ate together. It's so powerful. Um, so believe it or not, when I plant churches, often we eat together. And uh, uh, it sounds weird, but it, it, it actually works. Um, but we take communion every week in, the, in our core teams because there's something again. Jesus says, you know, I'll be with you. You know, the, the, this is a big deal. So we learn to really depend and, and to come back to the gospel and to grace and, and the presence of Christ uh, in communion, the body and blood. We don't want, ever want people on mission to get, you know, even even an inch away from the cross. We want them to go closer and closer. But also, um, we spend time in prayer together. So so even though there's this highly interactive training that that we do in, in jump school core team training, there's a huge emphasis on the the interactive dynamics of of the the Holy Spirit's presence, which is core. And so for me, like when you're talking about like a scorecard for success um, earlier, um, to me, one of the first, I know the scorecard has changed. Uh, Exponential has been a big part of that, you know, uh, rather than big churches, it's multiplying churches. That's a change in the scorecard. Um, but I, I, I do think in terms of multiplying, to me, it's got to be multiplying. So multiplying, the first thing is multiplying places where the presence of God is known and felt. That, that's got to be key. Um, multiplying the experience. Um, of If you notice like people that God uses, it's usually people that have an, a, a deep experience with God himself. Moses, he can go all through the scripture, Abraham. But that carries on through church history. People like Whitfield and Tozer and Moody. These people have these powerful experiences that become multiplied, right? Um, and so I want to see that in my core team. I want to see them deeply encounter God. I remember uh, when I came in off the mission field into Long Beach, I have this core team and I'm like, hey, you guys are going to see exorcisms. Trust me, if, I, if we go into the belly of the beast, I'm a psych nurse. I know the difference between a mentally ill person and an exorcism, right? And so I'm like, look, you're going to see this stuff. You're going to see people healed. You're going to see these things. I've been a missionary too long. I've seen too much. This is the stuff that happens. Get ready. Bug. And they didn't believe me, you know, but then it happens. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm not weird. You know, you know me. I'm pretty down to earth. Right. In fact, that's the thing for me is if the Holy Spirit moves and it's legit, it's usually not weird. You know, it's usually pretty down to earth and normal. Uh, um, but that kind of thing is like you're able to tell people. So I want to see the presence of God multiplied. Also for success, I want to see the gifts of the believers, believers who have, are operating in their gifts multiplied. I want to see leaders multiplied. I want to see disciples multiplied. I want to see churches multiplied. I want to, so I want to see mission multiplied. All these things, these multiplication, uh, that's what I want to see. But it starts with the presence of God. Yeah, so good. I mean, I think the whole idea of just even thinking about <clears throat> what does it mean that Jesus is Lord of our team? What is it uh, that he's the Lord of our mission, our, our assignment, our tasks, you know, our specific giftings? How do we filter that through the idea that Jesus is Lord over all of this? And I think <clears throat> that probably as the primary church planter or church or the team leader, um, it's 
it's really helping to create those crisis moments for your team members to really grapple with, hey, you know, I mean, follow my leadership, but this isn't just about like my leadership. It's about the lordship of Jesus in your own life. Mm. And I think that um, you, you know, think back to John Mark and the dispute that Barnabas and, and Paul had over, you know, the trajectory of his participation. I think both Paul and Barnabas were wrestling with that. They were just trying to help him to become a better disciple. <clears throat> you know, they weren't trying to help him to become, you know, a more efficient volunteer or a ministry leader. I think they were very concerned about, you know, his soul and the condition of his uh, commitment to Jesus as Lord. And I think that that's a great filter for us as we're leading our own team members. And um, I, I think some of the things that you talked about, I mean, getting people ready for the seriousness of the task, the spiritual warfare. I mean, you, you talked about, you know, even encountering things like exorcisms. And um, I don't think people really understand the level of um, uh, spiritual battle that you get into uh you know so let, let's can we can we talk about that just for a second because i yeah, do yeah, think yeah. you're not a weird guy you know i mean <laughs> well well you know <laughs> in comparison to you know hotel california type weird uh <laughs> but um you know you are um one of the few guys that you and i we can uh you know get off the podcast get offline and actually swap stories on like here's some really deep, dark spiritual things that happen in our church planning experiences, where you have to do things like deliverances and and, and whatnot. Let's talk about the spiritual warfare. I mean, Paul is all. Of, I mean, Paul is he, Paul is not making the devil, um, you know, bigger than what the devil actually is. But he he's also not shying away from the fact that man, you, you need to put on the armor of God, right? Um, so when we're leading teams, when we're thinking about our own journey, um, and we're thinking about like the resistance that comes, you know, um, it's not just the hardness of people not wanting to hear the gospel. It's much more orchestrated than that, right? There's an enemy that's trying to come against the work. What's been your experience, and how did you cling to Jesus? How did you cling to the Bible? And how did that inform your church planning process? Yeah, um, I I think it's it's really interesting because people don't tend to believe it. Um, it's 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 funny. I always laugh about you know you read the gospels and the disciples. You know they there's there's a number of cases where they believe in the in ghosts. You know like they think Jesus is a ghost. They think he's a ghost on the water. They think he's a ghost when he raised from the dead. Uh, Peter is released. They think it's a ghost. So it, it's funny to me. I always laugh at these guys because they're they were super real people, right? And they had their like superstitions and their belief in the boogeyman and all that. But then you know you see them encounter. Uh, like the demoniacs, you know, like the, 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 the two, um, uh, I can't say it, but is it, is it Gennesaret or how, how, what do you Gerardines say? Gerardines or, yeah, yeah, it is. As a like, learned yeah. man, um, but you know, uh, uh, you, you watch them and they come running back. I think it's in Mark's gospel. They run back down the road terrified of, of what they've, and then Jesus comes up and, um, it, it's amazing to me that, when you encounter nobody's ever ready for this like when you encounter it you um I, I don't know about you but i've never been in an exorcism where i feel like oh yeah 
I'm, I'm 100% prepared. It always hits strangely at a time where I'm not prepared and I'm out of my depth. But I think that's the key is your people start to learn um, on mission why they need to be prayed up why they need to be meeting with God, why they need to be in the scripture, why they need, you know, you start realizing, oh, all those other things, there's a greater reality behind all of this. And I'm right. And in mission too, like there's power. I, I remember first time I ever felt like the prophetic um, coming through, it was sharing the gospel. And, and if I have prophetic words, it's often when I'm sharing that it's not my thing, like it's not my gift, you know? Um, but if I'm sharing the gospel with people in a frontline context, I might, I might suddenly understand and I don't get all weird about it. And, you know, Hey, let me, uh, pray for you for your back or something. I don't do that stuff. But what, what it is for me is I might just, and I, and I will sometimes I'll say it and they'll stop, you know, and they'll be like, how did you know that? I'm like, I didn't. But boom, you know, and, and, and so I think that you start realizing I'm, I'm out of my depth, right? Like we often play in the whitewash and then there's, we read the gospels and we go, okay, there's this much greater reality of what's actually happening here. And I want to bring my people into that. And, and you just got to take them with you. Yeah. It's like Jesus did with the 12. You, 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 you got to, and, and he actually pushes them out of the nest and tells them, oh, by the way, um, I'm going to send you out. Uh, you will do miracles. And, and, and by the way, this is not the supernatural podcast hour or anything like that. But, um, but you're not, I have you're not Sid Roth. You're not Sid Roth and no, no, but, but or Marty Croft, right? Sigmund the Sea Monster and all those Sid and Marty Croft. But, uh, but what, what, uh, what happens is that the more frontline you go on mission, and this is why the missionaries come back over and they have all the best stories because the yeah. more frontline you go, the more first century it gets, the more yeah. like the New Testament it gets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that thought. I'd love that you m mentioned Mark 5 because a question came in about, you know, clarifying what creating a crisis moment, crisis moments for your team. Um, and how that's a paradigm shift for team building. And Mark 5 was a classic example where Jesus takes 12 Jewish boys, they cross the river over Decapolis, they go to a graveyard to meet a demoniac, you know, um, next to a, 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 a pig farm, right? I mean, talk about taking 12 good Jewish boys out of their element and creating a crisis moment for them where they had to decide, you know, that's, I, I, I think about that moment in Mark 5, when Jesus has taken them and he's taken them into Decapolis, which is predominantly a Roman installment, right? All those 10 cities are very uh, Hellenistic. And I mean, it was at that point in some ways that they went from being disciples of Jesus to the apostles because they actually had to cross the border. It was a moment of like identity crisis because they're not ministering to the lost sheep of Israel anymore, you know, which Jesus says he came to first and foremost save. Uh, but they're now having to be in a place of discomfort, in this place of like, I, we don't know what we're doing. There's graves here that makes us ceremonially unclean. There's a pig farm that Jesus is really interested in, um, and it's making them feel uncomfortable. And yet that's where the miracle happens. And what I love about that story, you kind of mentioned this too, is that, you know, the demoniac actually goes and he's, he's like this incredible, incredible evangelist 
to his hometown and to the people and they you know they you know as a matter of fact the next time jesus comes back i think it's in, in matthew sometime where he goes back to decapolis and people already recognize who jesus is and they come to him in droves because they were they already recognized that he was the one that healed that demoniac um and i think in some ways for you and i i mean we've been in church planting for a while um it can be easy to think about like leading our team in terms of just giving ministry assignments and you know you you take care of refreshments and you take care of kids and you take care of the music and stuff like that but collectively i think what we want to do is to put uh, people in environments and situations where they have to rely on the lord jesus they have to rely on their hearing from the holy spirit and apply those things yeah and and i think in some ways that may be one of our chief jobs is to create those moments for people uh, so that they can then trust the Lord enough to ask for the miracles and to move yeah. forward with faith and belief. You know, it's funny. Recently, there was a, a, a through through my daughter's uh, connection at the school, girl she knows, there was a family, a, a Hispanic family um, that uh, they just, as we would barbecue with them and get together, they would... Um, you know, they would mention, hey, you're a minister, like, you know, we've got a Catholic background, but we don't want to call the priest because we haven't been in church forever, like probably a couple decades, but they're like, we keep seeing apparitions and voices keep talking to us in the house. Um, do you do that kind of thing? And I'm like, yeah, I, I'll come over. Well, anyways, I go over to their house. Uh, this is just a couple months ago, and I won't go into detail there was some hair raising stuff that popped off and then you know uh i remember i was reading from revelation you know you move around there but you and i i'm sure we you know it's just part for the course right but at one point reading about christ's victory in revelation 12 presence of god just filled that room everybody felt it everyone could feel the shift and you know that night I remember Andrew and I pulled away going, we could have started a church right there at that moment. Like it was, it was all done for us. Like the Holy Spirit was just there. God was just there. And, um, and these are the kinds of things like when we're saying best missionary practices, like I said, pay attention to missionaries. They're going to give you stories. If they're truly doing stuff front line, and this isn't every day. I mean, you read acts, right? You're talking like a, a time span of decades and it's not every day you know you're, you're you're looking at at things you know it's punctuated equilibrium then this happened then there's a you know where it says then there was a time of extraordinary miracles you, you have times where god is just moving like almost every week people are getting converted then you have times where i can remember being a uh in my first church plant where people had just gotten saved like crazy and then there was this lull and i thought man i must be doing something wrong because all of a sudden and and i the deeper i leaned into prayer the more i felt the lord saying hey it's like a nursery you got all these babies here you better start discipling the people that i've given you and and really pressing that there's a season so i found it's kind of like the waves you know i live in california down san diego way by the beach it's waves there there are breaks and then there are lulls and those lulls are to get ready for the next break so yeah so good man it's funny that you were talking about them not knowing whether to call you a priest or not. Somebody here in the chat calls you the pop culture pope. I love that. Yes. 
I'm going to add that to your title the next time we talk. Uh, I'm going to say this is Peyton Jones, the pop culture pope. <laughs> I can't get away from pop culture. That was the biggest criticism. If you look at Reaching and Reach, it's got a big Indiana Jones hat on the on the cover. I just part of it came and and this is important to know part of it came from um being overseas as a missionary with a culture that was completely biblically illiterate so like paul on mars hill i started having to communicate through what they knew and pop culture because i'm not a sports guy right that that was the most don't judge me but i'm not a sports guy that became the number one way to really communicate well you know, in, in the book, I actually have um, two whole chapters. Now, there's uh, actually 20 chapters, uh, two given to each principle. But one of them, uh, two of the chapters are actually given to uh, how to have these kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about gathering and scattering, borrowing from Matt Smith and Hugh Halter, which I found, you know, the, the book and um, such a helpful book. Yeah. But. I borrowed that language because um, gathering and scattering, that's that's public. Both of those are public. Tem- temple courts and, and um, house to house, there's an art form to both. And so I talk about how, you know, like people say, well, how do you... How do, you know, like in Long Beach, you know, we uh, we we harness the, the local gay coffee house uh, for open mic nights and um, talk about spiritual warfare, talk about freaky, mm-hmm. talk about, you know, um, but amazing mm-hmm. and uh you know the, there's a there's an art form to leading conversation or to hosting public space gathering i've made a lot of mistakes so one thing to know about this book is i don't claim to have all the answers but i do claim to probably have made most of the mistakes that you can make in these scenarios and situations so i've realized like you know i'll always go back and debrief because i think part of of um, training people is debriefing all the mistakes. Like when Jesus gives the disciples the the bread and the miracle literally happens out of their hands as they're distributing it, Jesus is prepping them mm-hmm. to do greater works, right? Like he promised. But they're, somehow they're breaking off the bread. The loaf isn't getting any smaller. It just keeps coming and they keep breaking a piece off and there keeps being more. And, you know, they keep breaking fish off and there keeps being more. And so as Jesus does it, he debriefs with them in the boat and he says, beware the leaven, the Pharisees. And then it says they had not learned the lesson of the loaves. You know, he says to him, oh, you, he is uh, so hard, so slow to believe because they go, oh, Lord, we didn't bring any bread. And he goes, was I not just with you? Did you not just multi-? And then it says, for they did not learn the lesson of the loaves. I think a lot of our uh, frontline mission is mission itself like when i look at one of the things that i that i talk about how jesus discipled was time teaching and tactics so he spent time with them missional movement had that down uh teaching the evangelical movement had that down but you got to put them together but then there's that third one that neither movement really seems to have majored on and that is taking people on mission with you so i think one of the 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 biggest things that we can do is to take people uh, with us. So if I was going to go do that house call, like I was telling you, I would take someone with me. Mm-hmm. I would never do that by myself. I would take people to things that they never had any interest in. They'd come back and go, that was amazing. And I'd be like, well, because you're going to be doing this. And nobody ever believes that. You know, Nobody yeah. ever believes they're going to. But that's part of training and teaching others to um to do what we do. And to me, if we go back to success in church planning, 
at a certain point, it just becomes about releasing other people and their gifts. That's when church yeah. planning really starts to pop. Love that. I, I want to get to that because I, I think yeah, as we're winding down here, I think that's a, a huge theme that you talk about in church plantology. Um, somebody dropped in a comment there about, you know, is is the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul's Instagram <laughs> highlight reel? Uh, probably, but there's some lowlights there too, right? I mean, there are some things that he's, you know, I mean, if we were to curate Apostle Paul's Instagram, I mean, it's not just going to be filled with launch day or Easter day type photos and, and pictures, you know, ones that it's funny on Monday, you know, I look at my Instagram feed or my Facebook feed and it's filled with all these celebrations and, you know, reminding myself that, you know, Easter is not a typical Sunday for most church planters. Um, but the Apostle Paul, I mean, he was very real with his struggles and some the low lights i mean being beaten left for dead you know <laughs> shipwrecked arrested um you know uh and then if we move into the book of galatians he's having to rebuke some of his best friends some of the leaders yeah. in the church yeah I mean, he's just real and raw and i think and, and again we're not the apostle paul so we got to get that out of our heads but at the same yeah. time he modeled for us what it meant to be real and raw but i want to get to uh this last part here because i think it's so important uh in your book and I think a lot of people are thinking through, you know, the, the fivefold, and it's kind of have a resurgence in different circles. And you know, you and I are, you know, reform-ish, Baptistic, you know, um, charismatic-ish, you know. So that's kind of our our tribe. Uh, and so the apex, the fivefold, is important, and it's having a resurgence amongst our circles as well. You, you did a, you did a. There's a. a you all just got to get the book to really kind of understand what I'm talking about. But you talk about like what drives certain kinds of expressions of the church, and so uh, you said theological, uh, you know, kind of uh, drives uh, the kind of word-based church, and then you know the ecclesiastical drives a little bit more of the shepherding or the house church, and you know oh, yeah. for a while evangelistic churches kind of drove the church growth mega church model. But I want to hone in on like the eschatological uh, drive. Um, and what you were, you would you would tie that to the apostolic function, and how the expression of that is the multiplying church, and that's really what you just said a second ago, is when you actually get to the point where you're releasing people to plant churches. That's so in my mind, like a lot of us feel that way. I, I feel that way as well. Uh, the work that we're doing here in Chicago through the Prodigal Network, really, I'm hoping is a uh, apostolic movement. Uh, but the fact that you're tying it to eschatology, so does that mean we should get out our our felt flannel graph charts so that we can tell you when Jesus is coming back and the thousand yeah. year reign? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> no. Like, help us no. to understand what the, it means to be a church uh, plant that's driven by eschatology. Yeah. So one of the things that's kind of unique to the book is that um, it is a, a it's based on the APES framework, which if if you're familiar with any of my stuff, you, you it wouldn't be surprising. Church Zero was really an apologetic for um, APES team planting. APES meaning apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, teacher and shepherd, um, or I guess I was APETS. But, um, you know, that whole idea of these teams uh, moved across the map and Paul interchanged them. There's a lot of moving parts, people shipping this way and that way, moving all around, doing the apostolic shuffle. Well, one of the things that we do is we, we I believe, we train planters to go out there and say, this is your, your mission. And the way that we do it often um, is a little bit uh, 
advanced for where a planner's at. Um, so like, I love Will Mancini and I love Church Unique. I think it's a masterpiece, um, in, in what it's conveying. Um, but I, I, I see that a church planner is not quite at that stage yet. He doesn't have all the hardware to do that. And, and so when I was working with Sin Network, we would use Mancini. But often for established churches that are trying to figure out their, their mission, I think it's, you couldn't ask for a better resource. But for a planner, the planner usually doesn't have all, they're still getting to know their community. They don't have all the puzzle pieces that Mancini asks you to collect. Um, you don't really know your team yet. You don't know what their gifts are. There's ways to do that. Um, but a lot of the puzzle pieces aren't there. But what a church planner usually starts with is a burden. Um, there's a burden. And so the APEST, each one of the APEST roles has a different, like I would say the prophetic leader has a pneumatological burden, pneumatology being studied of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, the evangelistic, um, they have an evangelistic burden. The, the shepherd, you know, they, they have an ecclesiastical burden. Uh, so, and you hear this when, uh, a more charismatic Pentecostal planner says, I just want people to experience the presence of God. So I'm going to plan a church where that can happen. So a vineyard, other movements, um, a shepherding, somebody like a lot of the missional movement, I think, was shepherding. It was discipleship focused. And we come together, we gather, we are the church, we're community. That's that's an ecclesiastical burden, right? That's I want the church to come. And I want people to know deep fellowship and community. And through that mission will come. That that is good. Um, a teaching, you know, R.C. Sproul. He planted a church. Many people don't think a Sproul is a planner, but he planted a church and said, "I want people to understand the gospel." And so he plants in Orlando in 1997. Um, Tim Keller, the same thing. These are teachers, and, and eventually you could argue that Keller was more apostolic, which I think he was, but with a huge teaching gift. Um, but the uh, the apostle or the apostolic planner um, has an eschatological burden. And what I mean by that is um, think of eschatology, the goal of eschatology, not, not the return to Jesus and all the different. It's the glory of God covering the face of the earth as the waters. So in everything, you take the apostle Paul, right? He's the apostle. He had an ecclesi, I mean, sorry, he had a, an eschatological burden. Um, it was a burden of eschatology. He wanted to see Christ be named or he wasn't named. He wanted Christ's glory to be just saturating everywhere he went. And so everything he did, and, and I bring this out because one, one of the things I love about, um, uh, N.T. Wright, one of the, the most profound things he said recently in his biography of the Apostle Paul is he says, we cannot ignore the political flavor of Paul saying Jesus is Lord to the to the point where um, it's almost like uh, if you took Paul aside and said, you can't say that you can't say Caesar is Lord. And, and Paul could look at that and say, that's why I'm saying it. Because Caesar said he is Lord, he started it. You know, the, there's a sense of I'm challenging that because that gets in the way of Christ's glory. No man can take that. And then, of course, that becomes a, even a meta theme in the book of Acts where Herod, you know, uh, doesn't he doesn't uh, negate trying to take the glory from God. And I think apostolics, that's part of why we're planning churches, because it's not about our glory. Listen. If you want glory, um, go, go lead a big church. Don't plant churches, right? Um, it, apostles want to s multiply the presence and glory of God 
um, in as many places as possible before they finally take that dirt nap and breathe their last. That's their drive because a burden is what's going to drive you. Right. And, and so you're driven by that. So, uh, you'll often find planners. They could go take a, a pastor. They could go pastor and establish church. They're just not wired for that. They're wired to take Christ where he's not named. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to expand the kingdom. And that's an eschatological burden to see the glory of God advance. Um, as Piper said, that, that famous quote where he says, uh, the end of mission is worship. Um, you know, we, we mission takes worship where it wasn't before. I'm, yeah. I'm butchering that quote, but no, that's no, the he, I, I think he says, um, uh, worship is the fuel for missions flame. That's one of the things that he says. And yeah, that's a, that's a, and, and then, yeah. And then it's, it's to bring the worship to the nations. You know, he harkens back, obviously you're probably calling from let the nations. Yep. Be yep. 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 Um, man, it's so I, I think it's so important for us to have that future orientation of what is the culmination of the church, and it's not just um, you know it's just not like worship services or even local congregations, which we you know which I think are very integral to understanding the future of the church. Um, but it is the uh, saturation of the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all throughout the the, the earth, and it's a huge vision. Hey, man, as we wrap up here. And again, I uh, just want to let you know, Church Plantology comes out uh, on April 20th, so you can probably pre-order that as well. Uh, and uh, it's a partnership between Exponential and I think Zonervan is your publisher, is that right? Um, yeah. 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 So just really amazing work there. It's a book that will just be, it'll be read by practitioners, but also uh, I, I, I would love to incorporate it in the things that I do academically as well. So, but as we wrap up our time here, Peyton, and we're thinking about, you know, uh, mentoring the next generation of church planters, church planting teams, women and men that will give their lives to the mission of Jesus so that new communities of believers would be raised up. What would you say in terms of scripture engagement, in terms of, uh, of your own conviction, your own relationship to scripture? What is the discipline? What is the habit uh, that you want to implore the next generation of church planters, uh, and maybe even do better than previous generations of church planting uh, when it comes to engaging scripture. Yeah, you know, that's really good. I, I would love to see, you know, I, I love that you point out, look, I'm not saying everybody else is doing it wrong. In fact, I don't advocate any model. I mean, the first thing that happens on Pentecost is a, is a mega church is born, right? But hardwired for multiplication. So, <laughs> Exponential has done some great work. We start off talking about Ralph Moore, who's been all over the map, mega church, small church, community church, house church. He's done it all. But his measure of success was really that he made disciples and that changed everything. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, one of the one of the things that I really want people to understand is is the principles of church plan. I do this. I, I show, look, Paul is a Pharisee because he says like a wise and master builder. Well, a lot of his wise, his wise practice came from making a lot of mistakes. I mapped that out in a whole chapter, the mistakes he made and what he learned um, as he looked at his three missionary journeys. And then um, I also talked, I did a whole nother chapter on Paul's biblical, like where did he get his church planning knowledge? What was he working from? And part of that chapter goes into the section of the Old Testament and says, these are the things he knew about God. These are the things he knew about the kingdom of God from Daniel and other. 
These are the things like this is where Paul got his theology of planting from the Old Testament. And I, I hope that that's going to be helpful to people so they understand that church planting has a, an extremely biblical foundation. Um, and, and, and we shouldn't just try to go make it up. It's, it's laid out there for us. Yeah. Excellent, man. Excellent. And our job is to, to obey God, to do it in our time and to call others to do it. And that's what you're doing through church plantology. Uh, man, I'm honored to be, uh, you know, the first in having this conversation with you today. We talked about, uh, the biblical aspects of church planting. The next couple of episodes, uh, Peyton will be speaking with others on best practices and what we're seeing happen in our time. So, hey, thanks again for uh, tuning in to uh, you know this exponential program. Uh, again, just to let you know, uh, Church Plantology by Peyton Jones is coming out on April 20th. I already see that some of you are pre-ordering that. Uh, so thanks again for hopping on today. Uh, have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you in the next episode.